This is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. How do people survive and overcome oppression is a question that interests many students of history. Marcus and I will explore this question on today's show with our guest, Kim Berhofschek. Kim is one of the principal organizers of an upcoming performance of Defiant Requiem, a story about art and survival in a Nazi concentration camp at Terezin in the Czech Republic. Stay tuned, and Marcus and I will be back in a moment. Again, this is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. Glad to have you all join us again for this show, Marcus, and glad to be here with my brother, Dr. Marcus Harvey. Marcus, how is it going? Great to be here. Happy for this conversation. It is. Now, this is a conversation we have a lot in our classes when Mm -hmm. we're teaching, especially in our humanities classes. Mm -hmm. Brother, can you share with us a little bit about what those conversations look like with your students? Yeah, well, um, so for instance, in the humanities class that I teach, uh, which covers the period between 1945 and now, uh, we deal a lot with the residual effects of colonialism, mm-hmm. and we talk about that in terms of coloniality, and it has to do with um, the um, sort of um, imbalanced power relationships that um, were installed during colonialism, but that continue to persist into the present day. Um, and it, it raises a whole host of issues about um, what about what equity means, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. issues about uh, what narratives shape our our understanding of the world. Um, our political perspectives, etc. Uh, so it's a it's a uh, a kind of a kind of um, um, uh, 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 it's an attempt to really acquaint students with the complexity mm-hmm. um, of colonial history, right? Um, which has to do with oppression mm-hmm. and, and 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 attempts made by on, on the parts of. Of formerly oppressed communities to survive, to survive oppression, right? Yeah. Because we talk about it a lot in the context of African American history do. and the African American experience in this country, especially with slavery. Oh, and yeah. there's so yeah. many questions that mm-hmm. uh, that emerge from those discussions about the history mm-hmm. of slavery and how people actually survived um, uh, yeah. that that tragic experience. Mm-hmm. And I think it's I think it's one thing to confront the history, for example, of American chattel slavery, right? Which was perhaps Perhaps one of the one of history's most conspicuous forms of oppression. Mm-hmm. I think it's another thing, though, to to, to talk about how human beings survived mm-hmm. American chattel slavery. What what strategies were adopted? Um, how did how did these human beings manage to forge structures of meaning? Mm-hmm. Um, that sustained them through the brutality of 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 the American experiment. Right. And you know, and, you yeah. know, Marcus and some some scholars have raised questions about okay, well, um, developing certain mechanisms to survive oppression. Mm-hmm. What does that look like after you come out of that moment? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I've heard some scholars who've raised points to say that some of those mechanisms that are used to survive periods of oppression can then become impediments to a people's development mm-hmm. after. That. So this that's one of those kind of questions that's kind of hanging out there among scholars that I don't think that we fully explored. But I would love to to explore that uh, a little bit further to 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 see, um, you know, just how that does impact people's development over a long period of time. Yeah. Well, I, you know, and I, I think that's an important conversation to have. And I think I think one of the reasons it's important is because uh, or has to do with the fact that, you know, if. If we are going to forge a meaningful, more equitable future for ourselves as African Americans, you know, as a nation, what have you, uh, we have to figure out our relationship uh, to this to this history of oppression, right? Um, to this to this history of of 
of uh, of survival mm-hmm. um, in the face of 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 just un unprecedented dehumanization. Um, I I think that we have to take that memory with us into the future. We do. Um, And that that has a lot to do, I I think, with with, with what our society will look like 50 years from now, 100 years from now. Right. You're absolutely right. Well, this is going to be an interesting conversation with Kim, Mm -hmm. and I'm looking forward to to delving into the discussions of these topics. You know, Marcus, I love quotes, and I have a quote from Cornel West, which which talked about this whole issue of surviving oppression. And Cornell once said that as long as hope remains and meaning is preserved, the possibility of overcoming oppression stays alive. Mm. Cornell West, I love that quote by Mm. Cornell. But I think it's something for us to think about as we go into this conversation. So, Marcus, and I want you to stay with us, and we'll be right back in just a moment. Again, this is the Waters and Harvest Show. Marcus and I are so glad to have you all join us and be here with us. We're coming to you from Blue Ridge Public Radio right here in Asheville, North Carolina. This is an important topic about oppression, people's ability to to survive oppression. And we're glad to have as our guest today, Kim uh, Verhovshek, who is here to talk about a project that she is involved with. But I want Kim to tell us a little bit about herself as we go into this conversation. Kim, welcome to the yes, studio. Welcome, Kim. Welcome oh, to thank the you show. very much. Thank you for having me today. Thank you for taking the time to do this because we know you're so busy <laughs> with this project that we're going to hear about in just a few minutes. But Kim, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background? And I'm sure that that's going to give us a little insight into Defiant Requiem as well. And this project, you'll tell us a little bit about that. Sure. You know, business-wise, I'm a relationship builder, and so that's um, kind of my perspective of where I come at everything. It's Mm -hmm. just wired into me. Um, But most importantly, I'm I'm the daughter of a Holocaust survivor. Um, My father was at a concentration camp called Mm Terezin between the ages of 9 and 12. Um, And I'm also the mother of a 5-year-old, and I feel that I'm the bridge between the two. Um, and I want my son to grow up in a world with more love and less hate. Right, right. So yeah. it, it's interesting. I was looking at uh, Dr. Harvey here, looking at Marcus, because he has a three-year-old. I was thinking uh, the same thing. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit further ahead of both of you because yeah. my, my two sons are now 23. One is about to turn 24. And I'm trying to um, to not live with that. You know, they can't believe that he's that old. But the other one is 20 years old. But, you know, for me, Kim, it's been important for me to have them understand these histories, Mm -hmm. you know, and to connect. So when you talk about a bridge between your father and your father as a Holocaust survivor Mm -hmm. and your son, how do you have those conversations Mm -hmm. with with your son, if that if that makes sense? You know, he's still pretty young, um, but it's certainly a a conversation that we're having. And um, he loves my dad, of course, you know, and he's also the first boy in our family. So my father's over the moon. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it's, it's just having conversations about what the world is and making sure that um, he's a positive person that he appreciates what he does and really looks at the world with um, open eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Kim, uh, your bio indicates that you're very involved in social justice issues, which, which perhaps isn't surprising given your own family history. Can you talk a bit more about about your interest in social justice and the kind of work that you're you're involved in in that area? Sure. You mm-hmm. know, this is somewhat new for me. I grew up in a family where we didn't talk about our past a lot. Uh, it's somewhat typical of Holocaust survivors is uh, often it's talked about with the generation mm-hmm. after. Um, 
so two generations up. So it's not something that I have had experience of talking with. So my social justice is really new. I think it's been in my heart that I've wanted to make a difference and that I wanted to do something that connected my past mm -hmm. with the present. Um, certain, certainly acts of hatred that have been happening in the world lately and the birth of my son have been motivating me. Mm -hmm. um, but since you mm -hmm. have a three-year-old, you understand that yeah, the last couple certainly. of years my head's been down. Um, <laughs> yeah. But now that my son is five, my head is up. And yeah. so I feel that I have to play an important part in social justice and I have to lead my son to understand the world that we live in and, and how yeah. to make a difference. Mm -hmm. So Kim, you're here in Asheville. Have you always, is Asheville home? If not, where are you from? Can you tell us a little bit about that as well? Sure, I'm originally from Chicago. I grew up in Northbrook, Illinois. Um, and lived in Chicago most of my adult life. I was in the media business for years, so I've traveled quite a bit, lived mm -hmm. in New York, lived in Memphis, Tennessee for a little while, and I've been in mm -hmm. Asheville for six years. So what brought you to Asheville? <laughs> well, uh, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, my husband went to grad school at Clemson and always uh, loved this area. Mm -hmm. A job took him down to Florida, and he lived there for 14 years, but would always come here for vacation to escape the summer heat in Florida and just love this area. Right. So when we met, he took me here, and uh, I said, that looks great. Let's move there. Right. And that was it. <laughs> well, we're certainly glad to have you here. And I, and I want to give us a chance to talk about this project that you're mm -hmm. involved with. Uh, Defiant Requiem, I had the opportunity to hear you speak about it last November. This has been a, a, a long uh, project that you've been involved with. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about this, uh, this performance, Defiant Requiem here in Asheville um, and uh, based on Verdi's uh, Requiem. And so just tell us a little bit about the backstory there sure. on how this, this developed. You know, Cherazine was a, a really unique place that a lot of artists around the Czech Republic were sent there um, and were imprisoned there. And uh, Verdi's Requiem was performed by a conductor, Raphael Schechter, who was imprisoned there as well. And he found this as a way to create peace during you know incredible turmoil for the prisoners and it allowed them an outlet similar to what you were saying Marcus that we we need a way to deal with this trauma and mm -hmm. I think this music really was uh, Raphael Schechter's way mm -hmm. of his dealing with the trauma but also of bringing this choir together of 150 prisoners mm -hmm. to sing what they couldn't say to the Nazis while they were imprisoned and and dealing with um, such you know, trauma in their mm -hmm. lives. Yeah, and Kim, why? And, and so, this for me is, is a really interesting question. Why, why bring this project specifically to Asheville? Uh, you know, which is which is a which is a very interesting city, I think. Um, and why now? Why now? I think with uh, the instance of hate that have happened mm -hmm. in our nation, um, and learning my personal learning of the history in in Asheville um, and the history, especially for people of color, mm -hmm. I find that mm -hmm. this is the perfect program to bring to get people creating conversations. Mm -hmm. um, and as you shared, I think we have to use the past to engage in those conversations and to enact change in the present. Yeah. So, Kim, you know, I've heard you talk about this project, uh, Defiant Requiem, and you have a personal connection to this story. Can you share that with us and with our listeners? I mean, it's a powerful story, so I think it, it, it would be meaningful. Sure. Uh, so I learned about this uh, through uh, my cousin who lives in the Chicago area sent me a link about this performance. And when I um, when I first 
heard about it, I went to the website and filled out a form saying, oh, this looks interesting, and I feel like Asheville would be a great opportunity. But I also noticed that there was a gentleman who was on the website who had had dinner in my home, Mm -hmm. and I was quite surprised about that. Um, And his name is Pedro Seidemann, and I found that interesting because his name was Pedro, and you don't meet many Czech people named Pedro. Mm -hmm. Um, But instead of coming to the United States, he uh, emigrated to Venezuela. Mm -hmm. And so I sent them an email and said, number one, I would like to get my father back in touch with Pedro, and number two, told them a little bit about Asheville and mm-hmm. said, would you consider bringing this program to Asheville um, and, and share the reasons why I thought it was important? Mm-hmm. Um, and as I mentioned, my father and my grandmother were both at Terezin. My dad was there between the ages of 9 and 12. Mm-hmm. Um, he lost his father. He, his father was sent to another concentration camp and wasn't heard from again. Um, but my father and my, or my uh, father and my grandmother came to the United States. My dad was 15 when he came to Chicago, and he went from speaking very little English to getting getting his master's degree at Medill School of Journalism hmm. uh, at Northwestern. And um, he uh, is a retired Emmy Award-winning journalist now living in Naples, Florida. He just turned 86, and he'll be wow, attending wow, the performance. Will. Wow, wow, wow. So does he talk a lot about his experiences there? You you did say that it, that he didn't, in the past, didn't talk a lot about it. But how about now, especially with your involvement in this, this particular project? You know, he, I find that uh, he's spending a bit more time talking about it and being able to express himself. Um, but in in the past, it really wasn't something he spoke about a lot. He wrote um, a few pieces, I think, just sharing his experiences. He toured um, a tour of children's drawings in the Chicago area when mm-hmm. he was a journalist. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not something he would have attended because he really Really was looking forward and not looking at his past, but he attended this, and as he was walking through, he saw a drawing that had his signature on it, mm. and he didn't have a recollection of drawing this, but he clearly saw his signature and realized that it was his. Um, and then my niece and I went to uh, Prague last summer, and we happened upon the same drawing. It had never been updated with his information or mm. anything, but we happened upon it while we were there also. Mm, yeah. It's interesting. You talk about looking forward, and I've, you know, I've as a historian, I talk a lot about narratives, mm-hmm. about historical memory. This has kind of become one of the areas that I'm so interested in. And, you know, there have been a number of historians who talk about memory, how memory is shaped, that, you know, even as a nation here in America, in constructing the narrative of American history, we, like, we want to <coughs> focus more on kind of the triumphalist, this tri- kind of triumphalist narrative of American history. So when you look at the African-American experience, it does not fit well with that because it's such a tragic experience coming from slavery then to Jim Crow, Jim Crow segregation and all that was involved with that. We had yes. Brian Stevens who was here yes. uh, not too long ago, talking about the issue of lynching and, and what they've been doing in Montgomery. But for so many people, this is like a history they just want to forget. And um, I think that uh, at least David Blight, who we've had, the historian at Yale, who we had the opportunity to interview on the show, uh, I guess a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. then we, uh, Marcus, I mean, great conversation with David. But David has talked about um, African Americans and how they are forward looking as well, not mm-hmm. wanting to look back. Yes. Um, and he references Toni Morrison in her book Beloved, and the conversation between Paul D. and Seth, yeah. when Paul D. actually says, "You know, we need more tomorrows. We've had too many yesterdays." Yes. and that's kind of that perspective of saying we want to move beyond this. But and I'm hearing you say, Kim, and we've said in our own work that it's important for us to kind of reflect on on these mm-hmm. moments uh in in our past because yes. it's important 
I mean, give, especially given where we are as a country right now. I mean, globally, some of the issues that we're having right now. I think mm-hmm. so too. I right. think that's incredibly important, and I and and I think we have to look back on the on the past. I think looking at past experiences, we we can learn from them. Um, and I know statistically, they said forty percent of millennials have not even heard of the Holocaust, couldn't name a wow. concentration camp. Mm-hmm. And so when I hear things like that, I think we need to look back on the past mm-hmm. and see these experiences. I, I, you know, it, it's something important for us to do globally. Right. Yeah. Ken, you mentioned earlier, and um, and, and the, you know, this is kind of an, um, a bit of an aside, but I'm just curious to pursue this for a moment. Mm-hmm. That even within your own family, the Holocaust is something that isn't always discussed openly and that maybe there's even some reticence to do so. Um, And I think also about something that you just said, Darren, in terms of how even within the African-American community, uh, there really is um, oftentimes an aversion to confronting uh, the truth of the African-American past. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about this 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 sort of reticence to to discuss more openly and more regularly um, Holocaust history? You know, I I can only speak from my own experiences. And Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a profound sadness um, Mm -hmm. and pain that that you carry, and that makes it difficult to talk about this. Mm -hmm. Um, And a a kind of a fear of sharing your experience. It's Mm -hmm. one of my hopes out of this is that children especially have an opportunity to share their experiences and be able to talk about oppression that they've experienced or their families experienced or whatever isms there are, whether it's racism, Mm anti-Semitism, sexism, Mm -hmm. that they have an outlet for expression because Mm -hmm. I feel that this isn't something that I felt growing up, and I really don't think it was something that my father felt. He was focused on being American and not thinking about his past or sharing his past. Interesting. Yeah, and, and I, I think Defiant Requiem is, is perhaps an opportunity to um, establish, right, um, conversations, focused mm-hmm. conversations about, about this history. Could you say a bit, Kim, about how about about specifically how you see this, this performance, um, its role in... Um, making possible enabling conversations, um, even about issues like, for example, our country's current racial divide, right? What is it about this performance in particular, as you understand it, that that uh, perhaps is that uniquely suits it for this kind of this kind of um, role? So I, I think you know, being able to look at this past experience for people who may not have familiarity with it. Um, we're inviting students, so uh, mm. our sponsors included as part of their donation tickets for junior high, high school, and mm. university students mm-hmm. to attend this concert for free, um, and a chance for them and their families to be exposed to the story, um, and again, mm. with hopes that with our education program moving forward, that we can actually create these conversations. Um, mm. We have a writing program that we're launching in conjunction with UNCA and mm. uh, Asheville City Schools, Buncombe County Schools, and other schools, Asheville mm. Writers and schools uh, to get young people especially to be able to write and have this outlet Um, and also the potential for music performances to be taking place on an annual basis where people can sing um, or have some theatrical performance that's connected to social justice. Mm. So getting Mm. Asheville citywide to be doing this over a certain period of time, hopefully on an annual basis and Defiant Requiem just kicks this off. You know, Kim, I'm sitting here and as I'm listening to our conversation, I'm thinking many conversations begin with questions, right? Um, Have you had a chance to think about, you know, long-term conversations coming out of this performance? What some of those questions would be that would help to prompt some of those conversations? Mm -hmm. Have you you had a chance to think about that? I think, you know, asking 
asking young people, you know, what um, what support they need. Mm-hmm. So if they've had an experience, first of all, just giving them that outlet to talk about that experience mm-hmm. in kind of a safe space um, and having an inner generality to it. So allowing uh, older people to work with younger people to have this conversation. Um, but I think, you know, saying it has something happened? Have you experienced this? Just asking and being direct. I think mm-hmm. this is something from my experience growing up. The Holocaust isn't something people are direct in asking. Uh, I feel there's this fear from the community, Mm -hmm. not just from um, your own personal experience that people think, oh, this is something we're not supposed to talk Mm -hmm. about. So for me, creating those conversations is creating that safe space to have these conversations and using the arts as an outlet. I I think that the arts uh, with Defiant Requiem were an amazing outlet for prisoners. And I think using that message of the arts as a safe way to get social justice out there, I, I think is is an important and, and helpful way to do it. Yeah, and this is interesting because it, it's just something very, it, it, it's very important, um, uh, this, this, this performance um, and the role that it's playing because it strikes me that there's something very, very un-American about remembering human suffering. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And this performance is sort of defying that trend, mm-hmm. uh, defying that trend <laughs> uh, in a way I think that is, that is, that is very, very um, rich. Uh, but, but thinking about the performance, Kim, uh, more details about it. Um, who's involved? Uh, a bit more about the story, if you would. Sure. Mm-hmm. So uh, the performance is taking place on June 1st at Thomas Wolfe Auditorium, mm-hmm. and it incorporates the Asheville Symphony mm-hmm. as well as a community chorus of over 100 members. It includes the Asheville Choral Society, uh, the Asheville Symphony Chorus, and other community members who auditioned to participate. Uh, we are being led by Maestro Murray Sidlin, who's a global conductor, and Defiant Requiem is really something he's very passionate about. He founded this story after finding a book about Raphael mm-hmm. Schechter, the conductor. He just was walking along one of those book sales and saw a stack of books, happened <laughs> to pull this book out, and the universe spoke to him and said, this is a story that needs to be told. Mm-hmm. What other places uh, have has this performance? Uh, have they done this performance? The Asheville will be the 49th mm-hmm. performance. We're actually one of the small cities to have Defiant Requiem. We were the first grassroots effort where we came to them and said, we want to do this and started putting all of this together um, and talking about the future of social justice. Mm-hmm. And uh, this has been performed in Chicago, Boston. Mm-hmm. It was just in Los Angeles, uh, Washington, D.C. It, globally, it's been um, at Terezin actually, mm-hmm. and Budapest. It's been all over the world. So, Kim, what have the responses been uh, in those communities, uh, those places? Do you have, do you have a, a sense of what the responses have been to the performance? I think it's been a really moving experience that carries on beyond the performance. It was absolutely one of the things that motivated me, too, is I thought the idea of a performance that doesn't just take place that one day, but stays in your heart mm-hmm. and can really change people's hearts and minds if they haven't been exposed to the story, that really spoke to me. Right. Right. Yeah. And people are moved by stories. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think mm-hmm. stories are key. Um, so, so thinking again, um, Kim, about Asheville in particular, um, and how it will experience this 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 performance. Uh, what do you hope um, will happen after um, Ashevillians, be they um, natives or or transplants or just transient tourists, uh, after they experience uh, this performance? I hope that they're willing to begin having those conversations, that they allow Mm. themselves to find comfort in their discomfort, um, Mm. to Mm. begin appreciating that this is something that needs to be talked about, and that there are larger issues around this, that hate is hate, and that oppression is all intricately linked, and that 
we need to be having these conversations as a community mm. to come together to fight against hate to hate yeah. yeah the ability to to experience discomfort yeah you yeah. know and, and it so that makes you know quoting cornell west at the beginning of the show so appropriate because that's one yeah. of the things that he has said that we as especially as a as a country need to become comfortable we need to we need mm-hmm. to know how to experience discomfort yes um and we just don't we try to avoid it at every turn so i i appreciate that statement yeah and, and there's something very i think um to use a technical term didactic about the performance because it's 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 providing an opportunity to teach audiences um about what it means to be comfortable um with discomfort right yeah um and then to have conversations about that experience mm-hmm. and and i think that maybe maybe art is uniquely positioned to do that kind of work, mm-hmm. even more so than what we do in the classroom. Right, right. right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, and Kim, I, yes, I think about this. I know that it has taken a lot of effort to make this happen mm-hmm. here in Asheville. So you've you've had to do a lot of work um, <laughs> to, to make it happen. Can you just share a little bit with us about what, what has gone into this effort to, to bring this here to this community? Sure. It, you know what? It has been a real journey for me because I've met amazing people along the way. Every conversation I have had someone has shared their story. It's exactly what I had hoped. Um, but I've been working with uh, social justice groups. Carolina Juice for Justice mm-hmm. was uh, an integral part of my early conversation um, because they were focused on justice for all and providing some introductions to me to the community because my head's been down with a five-year-old. So um, <laughs> it was a, a chance to just meet with various um, community members and organizations to say, would you like to be a part of this? And so bringing the performance here um, had a lot of moving parts, but also this education piece and making sure that it's ongoing uh, is something that's had a a lot of moving parts, working with the schools, Mm -hmm. talking to the university, but everyone has been really supportive. It's been a really amazing experience. Are there other ways for community, other community members to get involved? Absolutely. Uh, You know, one of my goals is to make sure that there's awareness about the various social justice groups. I find Mm -hmm. there's wonderful groups here in Asheville, but it's being able to connect those groups with each other and also being able to connect those groups with the community and making sure there is an awareness. So uh, I would say stay tuned for the education pieces that will be happening this fall, and there will be lots of ways to get involved. Thank you. And Kim, I I know I speak for both Marcus and I when we say thank you for doing this hard work. I know what it takes to, you know, to raise the money that is necessary to to do a performance, to bring a performance like this here. I hope that people will try to find ways to support this work. So thank you so much for uh, the work that you've done to do this. Um, I think it's really important for people to have these conversations. Um, Mm -hmm. People try to avoid conversations of which I am uh, out there talking a a lot about trying to promote better understanding of each Mm -hmm. other. And I think that this is a way to do that. I think that our country is uh, is laced with bridges of mutual resentment right now, and we need to try to move away uh, from that. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing here. June 1st uh, will be the performance. Is it only one performance, or would there be? There's only one one? performance at 730. Uh, You can learn more about it, defiantrequiem.org slash Asheville. Mm -hmm. There's more information. Uh, We're still accepting sponsorships if people are interested in sponsoring the event also. Well, thank you again for coming in and joining Marcus and I today to have this important, we believe is a very important conversation. Our show likes to focus on marginalized communities, and this is is clearly a history of people who are marginalized in a a significant way, and and unfortunately it continues to happen in many places. So this is important for us to have this conversation. So thank you again for joining us. Thanks so much, Kim. My pleasure. Thank you. And Marcus and I will be back in just a moment.
Again, thank you all for joining us today for this important conversation. Defiant Requiem is mm-hmm. the performance that will happen on June 1st. Marcus, this was a rich conversation with Kim. It very was, and it, it definitely was. And I, I'm reminded of a point that came out in a, in a, in a, in a previous show about um, preservation as a political act. Well, mm-hmm. um, uh, this this performance reminds me that that the conversation is itself a performance. It is. Um, and it can be a very political performance. Right. And the question is, what role can conversation as performance play right. um, in helping to forge a more equitable society? That's right, yeah. and a community. So I'm looking forward to this Absolutely. project and thank Kim for the work that she's doing. And again, Marcus and I would like to remind you that the Waters and Harvey Show is produced at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina. And you can listen to our podcast on BPR.org, on the BPR mobile app, and on iTunes and Google Play. Follow us and get in touch on Facebook and Twitter. And Marcus and I will look forward to joining you all next time. Take care.